She defends like a rock and moves like a Tasmanian devil. Kelly O'Hara is part of the back four that makes up the USA's world-class defense. I will admit that I'm a huge soccer fan and a big fan of the U.S. women's national team, but it's not every day that I get to speak to one of my favorite players of one of my favorite sports. But today I get to talk to the two-time World Cup winner about her intensity and her defensive play, as well as her favorite baseball team, the Atlanta Braves. In episode 29 of Andy Fry's Sports Podcast, you'll also get to hear her talk about her efforts growing the game of soccer for kids in the United States. Time to talk some soccer. Growing up as a huge soccer fan on the East Coast in the late 80s, I was never quite good enough to play for my high school varsity team, much less a club team or anything that looked like a collegiate team. But I still followed the game avidly, and as the United States started to play more of a role in soccer internationally, I loved watching the World Cup. And as the U.S. men's national team has struggled to really make an impact in soccer in the last decade, I grew more interested in the U.S. women's national team. But to be honest, I was sold back in 1999 when they won their second World Cup. As a former defensive soccer player myself and someone who's generally biased towards defensive players, when I got a chance to talk to Kelly O'Hara, the star defensive back for the U.S. women's national team, I had to ask her about her style of defense and also her very intense and intimidating manner of play. Well, let's talk about your role as a fullback and a defensive player. Obviously, the when the USWNT plays, you know, you had a little bit of a, a tougher you know, situation and set of games in the Olympics, but by and large, you guys tend to dominate. And I think maybe the back four doesn't really get talked about enough. So it's, it's weird. I, I think, uh, I can't remember if it was Alex. I think Alex was joking that you guys are a little bossy, you know, to, to the midfield and maybe that's what <laughs> defenders should be. But I see you play and maybe you've just got the world's greatest facial expressions, but you seem to play with a level of intensity that, uh, you know, I, I used to play defense. I was a fullback. It's just I, yeah. I find it kind of exciting. But talk about your style of play and maybe your intensity and, and the synergy that you have with, with Dunn and Sauerbrunn and the defensive players in the back to make this whole thing, you know, quietly work behind the midfield and the, and the, the strikers so they can just, you know, shine and do what they do. Yeah, for sure. I I have been pegged or um, labeled as intense before, Andy. So you're not the only person who said that. I think we called the music um, and I called you a Tasmanian devil. Okay, there so you go. The, yeah, um, that that works too. Yeah. Um, no, I I just have always been super competitive. You know, I like to be smiley and laughing and happy off the field mm -hmm. always down to have a good time but when that when I cross the lines and you know for training and when the whistle blows for a game like I I'm locked in all in especially as a defender you know I obviously I played forward for a lot of my career or early on and defense is just a different beast in itself you have zero room to shut off at any point so I think that that lends to my um intensity or what is comes off as super intense which i guess it just is and and we are a bit bossy because we have to be because you know if, if we're not telling the people in front of us what to do yeah. they might not be doing it so our, our our communication to the the midfield and the forwards is all about making sure that as a unit we're we're defending the way we need to be because obviously we're called defenders, but everybody on the field is part of that. And truly the forwards are the first line of defense. And, you know, as, as defenders, we're the first line of offense. So, yeah. And, and in terms of the, the chemistry with the, the back line, um, you know, 
Abby, Becky, Crystal, Tierna, Sonnet, like whoever's playing. That just comes from from experience, from playing together and a trust really like that. I'm going to do this knowing that you're filling in behind me regardless of the situation. So it's just kind of knowing that the person next to you is going to do what they need to do when you're doing what you need to do. So, and I, and I definitely have that with, with everybody on the national team. Well, Julie Ertz is in the center of it all and she seems like kind of a boss. So, I mean, is there (laughs) a certain way that you got you in the, in the back or you as a fullback kind of read the central midfielder to obviously you're not going to sit there and say, well, it's your turn to be the boss or, or you get this one, I'll get the next one. But how do you, what's your symbiosis with a dominant, you know, central midfielder, holding midfielder like her um, in the mix of that? Oh, I mean, Julie is such a beast. She is, uh, I feel like after every game, I'm always in awe of her. Cause I'm just like, how did you do everything that you just did and cover that much ground? She's always breaking up plays. She's always, is where she needs to be when it comes to the defensive position. And then she's also starting the attack. So, and then on top of that, she is very vocal, um, which it's, it's, I love it. Like I, we need that. That's, that's why our team is so good is because we do have these vocal leaders that, that are kind of controlling and, and sending messages when they need to be sent. So that that also lends to you know Julie and I at times barking at each other whether it's like you didn't do this or you need to do this better or whatever but it's always in 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 the spirit of being successful wanting to win and Julie is so much fun to play with. Well, speaking of a vocal and sometimes controlling leaders, you've got you know it, so it's gone back two years now, but during the World Cup, I think uh, everybody expected. And she did great. Alex Morgan to score a bunch of goals and, and shine, but Megan Rapino twice. And uh, she said that she didn't think that she would end up getting the golden boot or be sort of the, the center of attention. And side of it, you know, you had Trump attacking her and we don't have to talk about that specifically. But uh, at the same time, Rapino really stepped up and outperformed maybe what we would expect of a player like her on the offensive side. I mean, we knew that she was, you know, going to be barking out there and being supportive and kind of rally the troops, but she turned up a, diff- a different dimension of her game compared to what, you know, probably the average observer like me would expect from her. So maybe talk about what, what it was like to see her come alive, Megan Rapino come alive, and then also um, what it's like to see Alex Morgan, you know, be excellent uh, as a striker, you know, every game. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would say in 2019, Pino cemented herself as like the set piece specialist and like the PK guru. You know, she, I, I think I don't know how many she scored in that World Cup, but um, anytime we got a PK, I was like, all right, we're going to be we're getting we're, we're getting a goal because yeah. she was just she's just had ice in her veins. She was lethal. And I've never seen a player up close like that be so good at something time and time again, you know, that you're always like, okay, there's going to be one she misses. And even now, like end of a sell this season, I think she's, I don't know how many PKs she scored, but I'm like, she does, the girl doesn't miss. Um, so it was, it was nice to know that we had, like, we had that in our toolbox, basically, like we have this, mm-hmm. it's not, it wasn't a secret by the end of the tournament, but we just knew that if there was a set piece, like we were scoring which was really fun. And, and it, it's a good feeling to have when you're on the field and, 
And then, yeah, obviously Alec, she's just been so good for so long. And she's, she's that again, kind of like not a secret weapon. It's no secret, but when you have these players on the field, they're in front of you mm-hmm. and you, you just know that like, you just feel good. Like it's a good comforting feeling to know that we have what it takes to win in these different players. And obviously Kristen stepped up, Tobin um, played really well. And and through the midfield, like you had, you had Lindsay, you had Rose, you had Sam. So in general, I mean, I think everybody in that 2019 world cup did, did their job and then some, and that's what it takes to win. I know that you have a podcast you've been doing and uh, you seem like a talkative person. So when you get someone on the mic, it's just, you know, it seems like I've watched it. It seems like you're just kind of shooting the breeze and you're kind of asking questions. Like I'm asking you, like, what do you, what did you do then? And what do you think about this? But what does it take to, uh, to interact and, you know, create a, an all sports podcast? Do you have to think things out first before you fire away on the mic? I definitely prepare. I don't want to think that like, I don't want people to think I'm just like, ah, show up. Hey, what's up? How you doing? No, I definitely prepare. Just Women's Sports um, does a really good job of creating a good like prep document for me. And I, I do my research and my homework, do my preparation so that, you know, I do have a familiarity with the athlete and, and what they've gone through and, you know, the highlights of their journey. But when it comes to the actual conversation, it's just kind of feeling out like, what do they want to talk about? You know, at the end of the day, the whole purpose of the podcast is to give these athletes a platform to talk about their journey kind of in a whole arc. So from beginning to where they're at now. Um, so yeah, it's just, it's, a uh, it's kind of both. It's, it's definitely doing, doing the prep work. And then once you get into the conversation, for me, I'm just chatting with another athlete. So it's fun. I always leave being like, like feeling, learning something, feeling inspired and just being like, man, I can't believe I just got to talk to that person and hear their, how their mind works, you know, like how they approach the game. And, and it's been really good for me because I've been doing this for a long time in terms of playing, not podcasting. And it's just fun to, to hear other athletes perspectives. O'Hara grew up in the Atlanta area, and she's a huge Atlanta Braves fan. When we had spoken in late October, the Atlanta Braves had just booked their ticket to the World Series. Right when we spoke, the World Series was just about to start, and the Braves would go on to beat the Houston Astros four games to two. But before it all started, I had O'Hara on the line, and I had to ask her what it was like to see her hometown team make it so far in 2021. So you're from Atlanta and you got the Braves in the World Series. Are you following it yeah. all? Excited. Uh, they, you know, they, oh, my God. Even up last night, but it's been a long time since the Braves have been in a World Series, you know, with the prospect of winning. So, yeah. What do you think? No, I'm stoked. I'm really excited. Um, I would say Braves are the one Atlanta team that I've watched and enjoyed and gone to games since I was like in high school. Um, we would buy the $5 tickets and sit up in the nosebleeds, but I'm really excited for them. I'm, I'm friends with Dansby Swanson because Mal's obviously they're, they're together. So it's fun to watch somebody, you know, so close shine so brightly. And then on top of that, just the fact that Atlanta and the Braves, like they're just bringing so much joy to the city and it's so fun to watch. And yeah, I'm I'm stoked for them. And then Atlanta United's in, in a playoff push right now. Got to go to the game last night and hit the golden spike. And um and they won. 
So that's huge for them. They jumped a couple spots in the standing. So I've been, I've been watching their table pretty closely, hoping that they're going to make the playoffs because mm-hmm. Atlanta United is my other team that I love, obviously more recently um, founded. So, but it's, you know, it's the first time that I have like a soccer team that I root for. So um, yeah. Atlanta sports, hopefully Braves can bring it home. We've been heartbroken too many times in, in the many years of the past. So I'm yeah. keeping my fingers crossed. I talked to Danzy, Danzy Swanson. I, for, I wrote for Rolling Stone for a little while and he was one of the first baseball players they talked to. He seems like the opposite of you. He seems really quiet and kind of shy. And I was almost like pulling words out of his mouth. To kind of like, oh, check, are you? Talk about baseball, man. Come on, tell me what, like, tell me about your swing. And he was just a super humble, you know, guy. Oh, yeah. You know, so it's um, it's cool that you're friends with him because uh, yeah, he's he's, he's one he's one of the good ones. He's a he's a he's a great great human. One of Kelly O'Hara's other passions is growing the game of soccer in the United States and abroad, especially when it comes to giving more opportunity to kids who just want to play the game. So late this summer and in the fall, she teamed up with the U.S. Soccer Foundation and Beverage Maker Powerade to put together a program called Safe Places to Play. In short, the partnership builds new playgrounds and soccer spaces for kids to learn the game. The same day I talked to her, O'Hara was on hand to unveil the new power pitch in Atlanta, and I took some time to ask her about the program and her vision for it as one of the key players partnering with the program. Cool. Um, well, why don't you tell me a little bit about this thing that you're doing with Powerade and bringing, bringing, yeah. you're doing something with, with soccer and, and girls in Atlanta, but can you kind of give me the details on, on who and what and, and you know, how that's working, what, what exactly you're doing? Yeah. So it's with Powerade and the U S soccer foundation. We've partnered, you know, Alex, myself and Crystal have partnered with them in creating these mini pitches. And it's basically part of U.S. Soccer Foundation's Safe Places to Play program, which mm-hmm. helps to increase access to underserved communities and underutilized spaces. And it's all about access. It's not just for young girls. It's for, you know, all youth. And it's just a way to create more spaces for kids to be able to go out and play and be safe and have access to this sport. Because as you know, there's, I mean, I don't know if you know, but the barrier to entry in a lot of sports can be super high. So creating more spaces and easier access is, is always in my mind, super important and gets more youth involved in sports, which is, I think can be very impactful. It's weird. I, I talked to uh, Alex Morgan a month ago and she, we got in this conversation. Um, you know, I, we all hear about the stories about like Pele and Rivaldo pl- learning to play soccer in Brazil with no shoes and yeah, a ball made that was a cardboard box with tape on it. But you like in the U.S., she she mentioned this that it kind of at least has a look and feel of that soccer is sort of you know upper middle class suburban kid sport, and the, the the result of that is that you don't see as many kids playing as you think, and it, maybe it's perceived perceived barrier to entry, and I guess some of it could be, you know, not having a decent surface or even just sort of the playground space dedicated to soccer so that kids are encouraged to just come out and play. So, yeah, is that what you're saying? Is that what the the driver behind this initiative to kind of make more uh, easy access space for kids to play soccer on versus, you know, just having playground space or is that the driver behind this and sort of 
give me more details about what the, the mini pitches, who they're actually, yeah. you know, just for sure. Happy. I mean, I, I think in the, like you said, you know, in other countries, it's interesting traveling with the national team. You, you we go to all these different places okay. all around the world and you always see in most other countries, you see soccer fields, you see even not even like full blown soccer fields, just even little pitches on the side of the road, mm-hmm. kids playing on them. Like football is the global sport. Right. And in the U.S., though, I think that, again, I think it's perceived sometimes as the suburban upper middle class sport. And the reality is there's not that high of a barrier to entry when it comes to soccer. You need like a, a space and a ball and you can create a goal with whatever you find there. Trash cans, you know, other shoot, whatever bags I've done it before. So with this, it's kind of like, you know, in, in the U.S., it's more so basketball courts, I would say, is what you see throughout cities and stuff. So I think the more that we can create soccer, football spaces for kids to play the sport that mm-hmm. might not necessarily get into it because they don't think that they can or they think that, you know, they've got to play on a club team or whatever. To me, that is the the objective of this, of, of the mini pitches. And I, and I love any sort of initiative that creates these spaces and allows kids to have the access because mm-hmm. again, I think, I think that like if kids can just get a taste of it, I think it, it could change potentially the course of their life. Dude. Cool. Well, thanks for taking time to talk to me and, um, yeah, of course. And, uh, you know, good luck with everything. Thank you. You too. Take it easy. Thanks again for listening to Andy Fry Sports Podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at, at @sportyfry. That's Fry with an E.